everyone, I'm Sanhara, and welcome to the Black Girl's Guide to Fertility podcast. This show is for all women dealing with infertility, but is specifically dedicated to Black women because we have a problem with opening up when it comes to this issue. Also, I don't want to leave out the men. You guys are welcome here too. On today's podcast, I'm going to be talking about my IVF process, the cost, the results, and the aftermath. So here's part two. It's embryo transfer day and everybody's happy. So on the day of the transfer, we got there early. Uh, I think it was 7 or 8 a.m. As soon as we got there, they took us back, uh, took us into the room. They showed us a picture of the embryo uh, that we were having inserted and we had to sign off on it. Um, And then they told me, which they told me prior to getting there, that I had to drink a lot of water. I already have a small bladder, so I pee a lot anyway. Uh, But they kept telling me to drink more and more and more water because they said my bladder wasn't full. So needless to say, by the time they got ready to do this procedure, to actually do the transfer, I had to pee so bad that I thought I was going to pee on myself. I really did not think that I could hold it. Uh, But they were telling me to hang in there. And so for they need the bladder to be full uh, because it helps them to see visually to get the catheter into the body to do the transfer, to actually transfer uh, the embryo. Um, And so that's why my bladder had to be full. And so before they transfer the embryo, the embryologist comes in there, she brings in the embryo, um, and she pretty much is standing by. And so they take the embryo, and we can see on the screen, and we see them insert the embryo. And so that whole process was done very quickly. Uh, And then I laid there, I want to see, say, maybe about five minutes. And then they told me that I can go. And they said nothing I did was going to cause the embryo to fall out, that it was going to be stuck in there, was not going to fall out. Um, So I could go about my daily routine. They just didn't want me to work out or lift anything that was over 25 pounds or to do anything strenuous. Um, So I literally, as soon as I waited my five minutes, they told me to wait. I immediately rushed to the bathroom to go pee because I I did not think I was going to make it down the hall to the restroom. So that was the worst part of that procedure um, was holding my bladder while they're trying to insert the embryo into into my uterus. That was very painful, holding my bladder. Ten days of hell and a dream. So for the next 10 days, I had to wait to find out and uh, see if this process was going to be successful. And so I had to continue taking the estradiol and the progesterone. Um, And the progesterone, like I mentioned, is an injection, which I had to give into my butt. And so I continued to do that, the injection, every single night. And I rotated from left to right um, and continued to watch Family Feud every night while I did it. And so uh, I think that no matter what you do, uh, because it's 10 days, although they tell you to keep yourself busy during this 10 days, um, there's no, there's nothing to me that can escape the thought of you thinking, is this going to work or is it not going to work? And so during that time, I mean, I'm checking blogs, I'm going online, seeing what people are saying about their their symptoms every day. I'm... uh, hearing people say to me, oh, this is going to be a great Christmas gift for you guys. Um, Just everything. Like I was on the internet like every day, all day, just looking at stuff and looking at symptoms. 
Um, but one of the things that happened for me, and during this time, my husband's like super pumped up. He's like, I have a good feeling about this. This is going to work. It's going to be good. And so one of the things that happened for me is that I'm a dreamer. And when I say I'm a dreamer, is that I dream of things and I can see things in my dreams that happen before they happen. And so my mother is the same way. Uh, she's a dreamer. Uh, she's a prophet as well. And my paternal grandmother, Mama, um, was the same way as well, where she could see things in her dreams. And a lot of times she warned people of things because she would see them in her dreams. And so um, about, I want to say, four or five nights out um, from me having to go into the doctor to take a pregnancy test, uh, because with fertility treatments, they want you to physically come into the doctor's office and take a blood test, because if you take an at-home pregnancy test, it can give you a false positive, or it can give you a negative and you really are pregnant. And so they want you to come into the doctor to take a pregnancy test. So four to five days out from the day I'm supposed to go in to take the pregnancy test, I have a dream. And so in the dream, um, my dream is that I'm, I believe it was the doctor's office because I didn't write this dream down. And I typically do write my dreams down, but I wasn't interested in writing this dream down. And so in the dream, we're in the doctor's office and they're giving the results and so um, everyone pretty much is sad and they're, they're saying that, you know, something went wrong, like it didn't work. And they're giving these different technical terms, which I wouldn't even know what they mean. But from what they were saying in the dream, I gathered that they were saying it didn't work. And so when they were giving us this news in my dream that I'm having um, in the dream, I look over to my husband and in the doctor's office, he's crying, like crying uncontrollably. And so... Um, like I said, I didn't write the dream down. I didn't share with my husband. I didn't say anything. I was like, okay, well, hopefully that dream isn't what it really means. And so my husband's still pumped up. He's still, you know, very excited. And in my mind, I'm knowing that I had this dream, but I'm like, I'm not going to say anything down. I'm just going to wait and see what happens. And so um, four or five days later, I go in early in the morning because they tell you to come in early. That way you can get your results back that same day, um, early in the day. And so I went in, I want to say probably 8 a.m., um, and I, they did my blood work. And so I got a call two hours later, and it was from my doctor. And so I could immediately tell by the tone of her voice that it wasn't good news. And so she says to me, you know, ask me how I'm doing. And I'm like, oh, I'm doing okay. I'm just waiting to hear the news. And so she says, well, unfortunately, I don't have good news. Um, she said that, you know, the, the test isn't positive, um, she said, and I just was really, really, um, you know, she didn't use the word sure, but she said she really thought that this was going to work. And she said, I'm sitting here with the nurse and we're literally, you know, in tears because I just, I can't believe, you know, that, you know, it didn't work. And then she went on to say, you know, asked me if I was going to do another cycle and, you know, what the process would be for a second time. And we talked about that briefly. And then she said to me, you know, it's really bothering me that this didn't happen because I can see this kid, like I can see this kid in my spirit. And so with my doctor, oftentimes 
uh, when we're going there, like she always says, I'm praying for you guys, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about you guys. And so, I mean, there's a spiritual connection on that end. Um, so she was really bothered. You know, we hung up and she told me before we hung up, she said, you know, allow yourself to go through this process and, you know, do whatever you have to do emotionally, but allow yourself to, you know, go through the disappointment. So, you know, I said, okay, we hung up and then immediately, like I thought, okay, I just need to cry. And I was like, no, I'm not going to cry. So I called my husband immediately after and he wasn't here. He was traveling. He actually was getting ready to get on a plane. And so I told him, hey, you know, I'm calling, but I don't have good news. And I said, you know, they just called me to say that it didn't work. And so, um, like I said, he was getting on a plane. So he was kind of quiet, but he said, you know, well, don't worry. It's not the news I want to hear, but, you know, uh, we're going to keep trying. And so that was, uh, like I said, around 10 or 11 a.m. Uh, he got uh, he got off the plane and, and got here, and I picked him up from the airport later that evening. And so when I picked him up from the airport, um, I can really tell that he was off. Like, you know, he's not being himself. And so typically whenever we have, like, a failed, you know, we've been doing this for six years. So typically whenever, you know, it results in something where we know we're not pregnant, BS trying at home, or like I said before, we tried the IUIs and those failed, He's always the person who's like, well, don't worry, next time it's going to happen. And so um, we get in the car, like I got out the driver's seat, I gave him the keys, whatever, and he gets in the car and I asked him, was he okay? And then as soon as I asked him, was he okay, we hadn't even pulled out the airport and he started bawling, crying. So I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I'm telling him, you know, well, don't cry about it. Like, it'll be okay. You know, something we can do about it. And he's like, you know, I'm just pissed off. I'm pissed. And so then I'm like trying to like rub his shoulder. And he's like, no, don't do that. Cause I can't even see where I'm going. So I'm crying so hard. And like we're merging onto the highway at this point in time. And so, um, you know, even with that, like, I like, I feel like I shed a tear or two because he was crying. But like, I told him like, you know, I, I don't want to cry over the situation because I've cried over it before. And I said, I don't see the, the point in, in crying about it. Like, what's, what is a tear going to do, you know? And so he said, well, these are my emotions. And so I'm just going to feel them. I'm going to go with it. And so um, I guess once he listens to this podcast, he's going to know that I had this dream. But I never, even when we were in the car and he was crying, I never shared uh, the dream with him because I didn't really see the point of sharing it at that point in time. What to do with all these feelings after you failed again and it's the holidays. In the first few days after hearing the news, I really started to uh, get pissed because I felt like a year ago, like I mentioned in my previous, the first podcast, um, I was minding my business uh, when someone told me that God said I need to focus on having children again. And so I felt like, okay, well, I'm doing what's being asked of me. I'm moving forward and I'm trying to make this happen again. And this time, you know, we're raising the stakes even further because we're putting a lot of money into this. And so to have it fail again, you know, it really was like a smack in the face because, you know, even aside from this one prophecy I got last year, I've gotten a ton of others and, um, even thinking about those, they start to piss me off because 
you know, I think they're obviously something to waiting, to waiting to see if something's going to manifest. Uh, but I also think that there is something to someone telling you, you need to focus on this again. And then you actually focus on it again and you find yourself back um, in the same situation. Um, so I was really starting to get pissed off as the days uh, begin to pass. Uh, but me and my husband were still trying to make the most of it, you know, so we're trying to do things together and trying to watch movies and, you know, just trying to enjoy um, our life as much as we can. But I couldn't uh, help to think about the fact that, um, you know, truthfully, because it's the holiday time, I really haven't celebrated Christmas in several years. I would say at least four to five. And when I say I haven't celebrated Christmas, um, I've celebrated the birth of Jesus, but I haven't celebrated the the act of, okay, we're going to put up a Christmas tree. Uh, we're going to decorate the house. We're going to do all these things that people customarily do during Christmas time. You know, I, of course, you know, ship gifts to my immediate family and I see my sisters, we exchange gifts. But the act of physically celebrating the holiday, I have not done that. Um, and, and I feel like I haven't done it for several reasons. And I think that most of the times, uh, in my opinion, I think that the act of Christmas, of having a tree and having gifts and all that stuff, I feel like that's more for children. And so I felt like, what's the point of putting up a tree um, to really have no gifts underneath there and to have no kids to celebrate um, that with? So I personally don't put up a tree. In fact, my sister um, needed a Christmas tree last year and my tree, uh, which is a really good tree, expensive tree, I gave it to her. Um, and so, you know, her and her son have been enjoying it. Um, and so I'm not really sure when I'm physically going to uh, get in the mood to want to celebrate Christmas again and celebrate it again. And in the meaning that I'm actually putting up a tree and doing decorations, getting into a whole Christmas spirit because I haven't had the Christmas spirit in several years. Um, so the, the next part of this is that for me, and I'm sure there are other people out there who feel the same way, is that going through this process, I really haven't had anyone who can guide me spiritually. And so, of course, I had people who gave me words of encouragement. I had people who gave me prophecy, but I had no one to date who's been in my shoes, who knows what this feels like, who have who has given me advice to tell me, okay, well, you know, this is what should be done or this is what should be done spiritually or this is what you should do because, again, to date, there's no one that I have encountered who has physically been in this situation that I've met personally. Um, and so that is a whole nother problem uh, because even if you go to church, you know, people will say things like, oh, we just need to relax. So, you know, I'm going to pray for you. You know, it'll happen next week or happen, you know, soon. And it's great to have prayer. But sometimes if you don't know what that person physically has to go through every day and you're just giving a blanket statement about something, um, then I, I don't know what good that's actually doing. And so um, one of the reasons why I'm talking about this, because I feel as I felt the frustration from going to church and feeling like every Sunday when I would go, uh, because as I'm live between Atlanta and I live also live in LA and I also go to New York a lot. And so between the three, when I'm not in New York, my parents' church is in New York. And so I can go there and I can get, um, you know, energized. Uh, but in terms of me physically 
being in a place every Sunday where someone is actually speaking to the need and speaking to the issue of infertility um, on a regular basis or even having anything to say about infertility, I have not had that experience. And so that becomes very frustrating to me because there's never a chance for for me to, you know, find a way to, you know, rejuvenate. And so one of the things that, that I do that's helped me, and so I would encourage you that if you know someone else in your family who's battled infertility and they, they have been through that, I would suggest that you reach out to them if that person no longer is here. Maybe ask other people what that person has done and what they did spiritually to get through their situation. And so for me, um, I think about my uh, maternal grandmother and she's actually a picture of her is actually on my website. Uh, she was in an accident uh, when she was a kid. I don't know all the details because she didn't talk about it that much. Um, talk about the details of the accident. That is, uh, she was in an accident when she was a kid and the doctors told her that she would never have children. And so all my time growing up as a kid, when I would go to church with her and whenever we went to guest churches, she would always give this testimony about the doctor said she would never have kids, but God gave her five kids. And so when she had my mother, she was 31 years old. So back in those days, that's pretty old to be having a child. Um, And so one of the things I do um, on a daily basis is I think back to her testimony. And so that actually gives me strength. That actually helps me in a lot of ways. Because again, although she's not physically on this earth anymore, I don't have anyone else to uh, lean on. And so uh, one of the things I also do when I get really, really down and, you know, things are not... uh, going the way that I feel like they should on this whole infertility walk. Um, I have a picture of her that's actually a button, you know, one of those pin buttons that go onto your clothes. And so when I feel like, you know, obviously I have no one to talk to about this because the reality is that I don't have anyone to talk to about this. Sure, I have people who will listen to me, but in terms of people who know, like I said, what this feels like, um, I don't have that. And so one of the things that I do is I take her picture And I put it, I put it to my shirt and whatever shirt I'm going to put over that, I put that shirt over it, but I put it into my shirt and I put it right above my heart. And so sometimes I'll sleep with it. Sometimes I'll just walk around with it on wherever I'm going. And so that for me gives me more strength Um, because at least I feel like there's someone who is looking out for me, who knows what this feels like. Finding strength in a bush. A few weeks ago, uh, my husband had asked me to help him uh, do some stuff from front of the house in terms of yard work, and I didn't want to do it. I'm not a manual labor type person, and he wanted to put down uh, some new flowers in front of the house, and I didn't want to do it. Um, But I decided that I was going to go out there and help him. And so a few days before that, our landscaper, uh, who comes and he cuts the grass, he trims the bushes and stuff, he had come to trim the bushes. And this one bush, he cut down altogether um, at my husband's um, advice. And so while we're out there doing the yard work, um, I stop and I look behind this bush that had been cut down. And I say to my husband, is that a pricker bush right there? And he's like, what? 
I was like, is that a pricker bush? And he's like, I don't know, I guess so. And he was like, why? I said, uh, because when I was a kid, every day um, off the school bus, uh, this one particular young girl uh, would fight me every single day. And I said, it would happen just like this. We get off the bus and she would chase me back to my grandmother's apartment. And the girl who uh, would, would fight me was big, uh, big, thick, heavy-handed. Um, I was extremely skinny. And so I didn't really have a fighting chance. But uh, the thing that my grandmother did, uh, because in order to get into her building, you had to be buzzed in. And so every day she could hear all this hoopla coming from the bus because all the kids would follow you up to wherever the fight was going to be. So in this particular case, every day was in front of my grandmother's building uh, because the girl also lived in the building as well. Or her grandmother lived in the building. I don't remember which one. And so what my grandmother would do was that uh, she would come to the window and she would coach me on how to beat this girl. And so in my mind, I'm just thinking like, oh, my God, grandma just buzzed me in. And so she would tell me to get her off her feet and to throw her. And she my grandmother had a way with words. And so she would say the word ass. And so uh, she was saying, throw her ass into the pricker bushes. And so, you know, during the time we're fighting, I mean, she, she's getting in some good, good old punches, some good licks. And they hurt because she was heavy-handed. And so every single time we fought, eventually I got her off her feet and I got her into the pricker bushes. And so once that happened, my grandmother would buzz me in. And so as I'm sitting there looking at this pricker bush that's been there for years, um, and I just never noticed it until this day my husband forced me to come outside <laughs> and do some yard work with him, it just made me reflect on my childhood it made me reflect on the fact that my grandmother taught me to fight and taught me to fight in a sense that even if you feel that um you know this person is bigger than you even if you feel this person is stronger than you that you can there's always a way to get that person off their feet and so while I'm looking at this pricker bush I'm just like oh my gosh like this is so crazy looking at this pricker bush in front of the house I'm just like oh my god this is crazy and so I just think about that, that thought of being able to beat someone and beat something. And I, I relate that to infertility, being able to beat something that you feel that you can't physically fight, you can't physically win. But you know that eventually, if you try hard enough, you can get it off its feet. And so that's my, that's my strength. That's my encouragement. And every day now, I guess when I can and when I'm here, I'll go out and I'll look at that pricker bush to know that um, no matter what, I'm not going to get buzzed in until I fight. Continuing to fight. So where we are now is that we're in the process of starting our second IVF cycle because we want to continue on in this fight. Uh, and the good thing with the facility that we go to with the $11,312.50 that I mentioned that we paid up front, we are allowed to continue trying for 12 months 
until we reach a uh, 32-week pregnancy. And so that's definitely a bonus uh, because fertility treatments are very expensive. Prior to doing IVF, I mentioned that we did IUIs. Uh, For the IUIs, we budgeted and my husband paid for those up front. Uh, With the IVF, uh, we took out a loan for $11,000 for the $11,000 and then the remainder uh, my husband was able to pay. But it's a it's a high, high price tag. And I'm hoping and praying one day that the insurance companies will come on board and see this as a necessity, see birth as a necessity, see the right for women to have children as a necessity and not uh, something that we have to use, uh, take out loans or use credit cards to pay for. Uh, but I want to encourage you that if you want to have a child and you are going through the IVF process or you're thinking about going through the the IVF process, don't let the loans, don't let the price tags scare you off. If this is important to you, make it happen because you don't want to look back and have regrets that you shoulda, coulda, woulda, and you didn't. Thank you for listening to the Black Girl's Guide to Fertility podcast. You can stay connected with this movement on our website, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And if you haven't already, please join my mailing list at blackgirlsguidetofertility.com and on sanharaeastman.com.